Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapter 15 and 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We pick up in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say a hearty amen. And after a while, in verse 1, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But the father, a good old dad he is, would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And then Samson went out and he caught 300 foxes. That actually translates to jackals. And he took torches and he turned the foxes' tails to tail. And he put a torch between each pair of the tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. And then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and burned his wife, and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, since you would do this thing like this, I would surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked them hip and thigh, which means mercilessly, viciously. He attacked them with a great slaughter. And then he went down, and he dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now stop right there. In late April, early May, the time of the wheat harvest, late April, early May, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson cooled off. He begins to think about the woman and he decided to take the old heifer, a young goat. (laughs) I love the word of God because it's funny. It's just funny. And so when he got there, her dad said, look, don't even think about going in her room. And he said, listen, you can have her sister, which tells me about the morality of the father. You can't have her, but look, take her sister. She's she's better and she's prettier anyway. And Samson felt wronged and he felt ripped off and he was upset. And he said, now I'm justified in what I'm about to do. And so he catches 300 foxes or jackals, as I said, and he ties their tails together and he put fire between them. And the jackals are going nuts, running wild, setting the wheat on fire. Very clever move here that Samson makes. And so Samson single handedly, he destroys their economic base of the entire nation with these flaming jackals. And they torch his wife and his family. And then he gets them. 
You see this cycle continuing here? They do something, Samson does something, they respond, and Samson does something else. They do something again, and Samson goes commando on them. The cycle, just taking revenge. Samson, you know better. You know the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says who, saints? The Lord. Samson knows that. Look at verse 9. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi or Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why are you come up against us? And so they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, you see, this is Samson's golden rule. And Jesus said, do as unto others as you would have others to do unto you. Samson's golden rule is this, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And Samson, I, I really can't really come to terms with his person. I, I don't think there's anyone else in scripture, in all of the Bible, like Samson. Because he's, he's kind of, you know, like I said, a mixture of weak, weakness and strength. Heroism and tragedy. Used of God, but powerfully, unbelievably fleshly. I can't get a hold of this guy. And so he says, I'm doing to them what they have done to me. But they said to him in verse 12, we have come down to arrest you. Now remember, these are the men of Judah. These are his own brethren, his own family, if you will. We may deliver that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. And then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And so they spoke to him in verse 13, saying, no, we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hands. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Notice that now Samson, his wife is burned. The country's going up in flames. Samson is public enemy number one. So the Philistines encamped around Judah and they demanded Samson be turned over to them. The people of Judah or Samson's own brothers are so afraid of the brutal war machine, the Philistines. They send 3000 men to hand him over to the Philistines. They arrested Samson, bound him with two new ropes, brought him to the Philistines. But he made them promise that they, his brothers, wouldn't kill him. Now, here's an interesting side note. This is the only time in the Bible and this is very, very interesting to me. The only time in the Bible that the Israelites gather their own army to capture their own man. The only time in the scriptures. And they're arresting the man. Now remember, Samson is a deliverer. Stay with me, okay? Now remember, Samson, he's their deliverer. God has raised them up. Okay, we can't figure it out. We don't understand how God would use somebody really fleshly and really fleshly to, to deliver his people, but he does. God does. Samson is the deliverer. He's sent by God to deliver the people from the hands of the Philistines, to deliver them, to give them victory. But, but, but you got to notice here that they, they, you know, I think oftentimes we forget who our enemy is. 
I was talking to my, my family last night about this. I was talking to Elvira, my mom, and I was talking about, you know, um, watching the Bush address. I don't know if you saw it last night, but watching the Bush address last night. And as many of us know, um, our troops are in battle and we are experiencing more deaths and casualties than we have since we started this whole war on terrorism. And it's a terrible thing. I spend time in the military, so I think I can speak. And I just generally don't deal with politics from the pulpit because I don't think the pulpit is the place for politics. But I do think that we have an application here, and I think that we see in our culture today that we're sending our troops into, the mil- into, into war. Uh, uh, many of our, our, our brothers and sisters and fathers and sons and daughters and wives and husbands and uncles and aunts are being killed and dying as a result of this war. And I'm noticing in the media that people are blaming, if you will, President Bush. Now, please don't take this as my vote for Bush. I won't tell you who I vote for. That's not important here. But what I do think is important is that we need to understand that we need not forget who the enemy is here. The enemy is not President Bush. The enemy is not the former President Bill Clinton. The enemy is those who seek to terrorize not only the United States, but the world. I know this for a fact because I was just in Israel. And do you know the Israeli people, they live in fear. They live in fear. They can't go outside their doors of their homes without wondering whether they're going to be shot. They can't send their kids on a field trip without having two armed guards with them. That kind of freaked me out. I'm headed up Masada. It's it's like 1,500 feet above sea level. Y'all know how I am about heights, so I'm freaking out already. And all these kids get on, and they're, yeah, 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 yeah. They're on a field trip, and they got two armed guards with them. One guy's got like a 45 right here, so I'm already freaking out because we're already higher than I like to be. I want to be on the ground. If God wanted us to be high, he gave us wings. I want to be on the ground. And I'm looking at, and the kids are, oh, they're so happy to be on a field trip, you know. And these two guys are with them, and and this guy got a 45 back here or whatever he had back here. And I'm, and and, and you know, it occurred to me, and and I know that they can't go outside of their homes, and their kids can't go to the park and play like your kids get to go to the park and play because they live in fear because of those who terrorize not only the United States but those who terrorize the world. And so the enemy is not those who are seeking to stop terrorism. I want to see terrorism cease and desist. If I had my way, I'd go back in the military to defend our country because I believe that freedom is something that is, just like Bush said, freedom is something that is God-given and not man-given. And if you really believe that something is God-given, then you need to be willing to stand up and fight for it. I most certainly would if I wasn't 40-some years old. Go back and I heard somebody say, wow, you know, I ain't that old now. I absolutely would. I absolutely would because I don't agree with terrorism, period. So the enemy is not any administration, whether they be Democratic or Republican. 
That is, that is not our enemy. And even in the church, our enemy is, is not the Catholics or the Charismatics. The enemy that we need to come together and fight against is, you guessed it, the devil. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 10, the enemy has come to steal and to kill and destroy. See, it's Satan who would seek to divide and conquer. And these guys finally mobilize and they want to get their own leader. Interesting. Look at verse 14. When they came to Lehi, The Philistines came shouting against them, and then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like sewing thread. Flax, thin, popped it off. It was burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it, and he killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Notice, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth Lehi. Now, Samson, they deliver Samson to the Philistines. The spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he snaps the rope off like string. Samson looks around. The Philistines understand they had the most sophisticated weaponry of that day in their region of their time. Most sophisticated. So Samson looks around. What does he have? Nothing. He looks around. He sees a jawbone of a donkey. Now, remember Judge Shamgar He killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. David will take on the biggest Philistine of them all, Goliath, with what? A slingshot and a stone. Oh, you know where I'm going. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. And here we have Samson. The Philistines got all these weapons. Samson has nothing. He sees a jawbone of a donkey. He picks that jawbone up. And God, throughout the scriptures, if you notice, the Philistines are defeated by very insignificant weaponry. And study your Bible. You'll see. And they were defeated with an ox goad. They were defeated with a slingshot from a little boy. And they were defeated with the jawbone of a donkey. You know what that tells us? uh, Zechariah tells us it's not by might. You know the verse, say it with me. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, that's true. God wants to do a great work in you without the sophistication of technology. I believe God wants to deliver our country and deliver our, 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 our military forces, not with technology, Not with scud missiles. I think if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I will heal their land and I'll forgive their sins. See, that's not something that the world even thinks about. We're thinking our armory and our technology and our tanks and our ability. And God says, no, pray, pray. Is that it? Yeah, that's plenty. Just pray. So Samson killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone, and the rest of them 
ran off. Now, I, I don't blame him. I mean, if you see a guy with a jawbone picking off right and left the Philistines and they're dropping like flies, you'd run too. Now, Samson looks around and he says, look what I've done. Did you see that in verse 16? Look what I've done. I've killed a thousand Philistines and I'm calling this place Ramath Lehi. Taking notes, it means jawbone heights. Doesn't that sound like a planned community? Would you buy a house in Jawbone Heights? <laughs> I mean, it just does to me. It sounds like this kind of exclusive planned community, you know? I'm going to buy a house in Jawbone Heights. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then notice in verse 18, then he became very thirsty. These are fascinating verses. And so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great victory, great deliverance by the hand of your servant. He became thirsty. He talked to God. He says, you've given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, he called its name En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, a thousand men are dead. He was thirsty. He looked around. There was nothing to drink. No Coke machines, no water fountains, nothing to drink. No bottle of water, nothing. His mouth is dry. His lips are parched. He's thirsty and he needs the Lord's help. Did you notice that? And so he says, you have given deliverance. You see that? He was saying, I have delivered. That's why I brought your attention to that. Now, because he's in a place where he needs the Lord's help, he cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, you are the one who has given great deliverance. He said, I've slain a thousand. Now he says, Lord, you have. You see, oftentimes we think we have a great victory. We think we've done something great. And isn't it true? God has his ways of showing us that you didn't do anything. Doesn't he? And God used something as simple as like natural needs. Water. Thirst. God has ways of tempering our triumphs with trials. Isn't that true? Samson's saying, look what I've done. I built this master plan community, Jawbone Heights. And God says, great, can you get a drink for yourself? Well, <clears throat> not ex exactly. <clears throat> you see, God says, y you're so great, obey your thirst. <laughs> and he couldn't. And God gave him water from the jawbone, and he was revived, and he called the name of the place En-Hakor. Take a note. Notes, it means this, the well of him that cried. Notice he changed, not jawbone heights anymore, but the well of him that cried. Remember the Red Sea? They had a great triumph, and the next thing happened in the wilderness. What happened? They were thirsty. You see, if triumphs aren't tempered with trials, they become a point of pride. 
if triumphs aren't tempered with trials, they become a point of pride. That is so true. You know, it happens to me often. I got to tell you, promise not to tell anybody. All right. It happens to me often. Sunday, great service. All three services, wonderful. Everything was wonderful. Hey, it happened past Sunday. Easter, awesome. People were blessed, and the music was great, and Color Latino was wonderful. William Taylor was wonderful. Calvary Chapel Praise Team was awesome. Everything went well. Sundays, everything goes well. I leave church on Sunday. Man, it was awesome all night. I'm like, man, church was great, great, great. And, you know, Satan will try to tempt you to say, you know, Rodney, you want to have bad yourself? I go, yeah, I really was. Tell me more, you know, and, and that happens where, you know, your pride can, can start. to. And you know what happens to me on Monday? On Monday, it is full on depression. Oftentimes, I got to tell you. Sometimes on Monday, I cannot even answer my phone. If you call me on Monday on my cell and I don't answer, let me tell you why. Because I'm in no mood. Because I, 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 it's, it's spiritual, all our spiritual warfare. Satan, even, even this past week, yeah, people got saved, so what? All that work for two hours? It took us months to plan Months and labor and hours and people and money and finances and resources and all of these things. And Satan would tell you on Monday, yeah, it wasn't even worth it. Virgin, he wrote about the minister's fainting fits and he was talking about the Monday after Sunday. That many ministers experience like full-on depression on Monday because of Sunday, because of the spiritual warfare that happens on Sunday. And see, if you don't know this, you, you're not ready for ministry. Let me tell you, if you can't handle it, you're certainly not ready for ministry. And you're most certainly not ready for the senior pastorate. You're not ready for any level of pastorate at all. If you can't understand that, that Satan's going to come against you, that Satan's going to really try to hinder you and try to cause you to think that the work of God is, is nothing and, and, you, and nothing happened and there was nothing spiritual that happened and, and, and start to depress you even. And so he wrote about the minister's faith fits, talking about the Monday after Sunday. And, and, and it's true in my own life. There's these fainting fits where Monday, I, I don't know what to think sometime. And ask my family, I, like, don't talk to me. And I just want to lay on the couch and look at the ceiling and go, what in the world just happened? But then God always reminds me, probably around Tuesday or Wednesday, it was all worth it, every moment of it. Every, if one person got saved, every service all year was worth it. If you agree with that, you should clap your hands, would you? Isn't that true? One person. Because it's not about us. It's not about what you think and what I think and the results that we like to gauge. I know. It's not about what we think. It's about what God thinks and the work that God wants to do and how God wants to reveal himself. And if God is glorified and if one person is saved, then it's worth it. And the Mondays is worth it. The Mondays are worth it. And I've been doing Mondays for years. And only God can give me the grace to do Monday. Only God can give me the grace to do Monday. Monday's a tough day. Only the Lord can do it. And so here that happens. And so God does oftentimes temper 
our, our triumphs with trials, lest they become a point of pride. Chapter 16, verse 1, saints, if you're with me, say amen. Now Samson went to Gaza, and he saw a harlot there, and he went into her. Samson, what are you doing, man? Now when the Gazites were told, you see, this is in the area of the Gaza Strip, actually, still there today. You hear about it in the media often. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were all, they were quiet all night saying in the morning when it's daylight, we'll kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight and then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts, pulled them up, bar and all, the Bible's so specific, Bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. And afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1100 pieces of silver. Now we got to stop right there. This is Samson's final act in this drama. He's been judging Israel for 20 years. He still finds himself where he shouldn't be in Gaza. Now, going to Gaza was a stupid move because the Philistines hated him and there was a contract out on his life. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.